Stu Does America. We start by doing Biden's bribery to bribery boogaloo. I'm a sucker for break two references. So we had to go this direction. And yesterday we did Biden's bribery. And you'd think, well, why are you back with Biden's bribery to bribery boogaloo on Thursday? Well, that is a good question. And it's because it's important to note it's much worse than we thought. Yesterday, we kind of put the show together with an outline of what was reported on this big college debt relief uh, redistribution of wealth uh, program. And we did that with what we was, were seeing in all of the reporting leading up to it. He then, of course, updated it and added a bunch of extra programs and fluff and adjustments and all sorts of crap on top of everything else. So I want to get to some of that tonight. I want to get to some of the reaction to this plan tonight. And I want to try to take you through as much of this hellscape of a policy as we can possibly go through. Let's start with Biden the other day. He was speaking. He did his big press conference where he was totally alert and totally aware and knew everything about what he was talking about. And then as he was walking off, someone decided to actually ask him a question and he stopped and took it, which has been very rare lately. Uh, He took the question and it was about the unfairness for people who, you know, maybe didn't take out a loan or already paid their loans off. Listen to the question by the reporter and you'll hear his incoherent response. Is this unfair to people who paid their student loans or chose not to take out loans? Is it fair to people who, in fact, uh, do not own the multi-billion dollar businesses to see why these guys get them all attached Is that fair? What do you think? Uh, is it fair to people who in fact, do not own multi-billion dollar businesses to see what these guys get lower taxes. Is that fair? What do you think? It's a good answer. It's a good answer. Now, he's trying to play up this idea that they're blaming everything on the tax cuts from multiple years ago. You remember the tax cuts that just happened to coincide with one of the hottest economies we've ever had. Surely uh, those things were the enemy uh, and uh, his policy is the winner. We'll get into all that here in just a minute. Uh, Steve, no, Peter Ducey, one of the Ducies, was there talking to KJP, our friend Corinne Jean-Pierre, perhaps the the single worst press secretary this country has ever had. And I want to say that is saying something. She is literally terrible at this job. She has no idea what she's doing. She's completely unqualified. Her main qualifications for this job are her skin color, her genitals, and which genitals she prefers. Those are the three reasons she got this job. It's clear as freaking crystal in this exchange. You heard directly from the president. Uh, this is something that is going to be important for middle class Americans. When you think about 90 percent of the folks who are uh, who are going to actually benefit from this are making seventy five thousand dollars or less. Okay, and you think it. about what Republicans did oh, just a couple of years ago. Yeah, uh, they they signed off on a two trillion dollar mm. uh, two <laughs> trillion dollar tax cut for yeah. the wealthy and did not provide not any way to pay for that. 
and that who's paying again, for this? Here's what we have done. Here's what here's a lot about how much it might cost, it might not cost. Who is paying for this? What we are saying is the the work that this administration has done, the work that the Democrats in Congress has done is actually there, and you see that the 1.7 trillion deficit in deficit deduction that you see is going to benefit us in being able to do something for the middle class, to do something for the middle class. This is about doing something for people who make less than $125,000, $1.7 trillion. That's what we've been able to do. But when you forgive debt, you're not just disappearing debt. So who is paying for this? And then I'll give you the second part. We lifted the pause, right? We're going to lift the pause Mm -hmm. uh, at the end of this year, which is going to matter, right? Which is going to offset uh, a lot of what what we're doing as well. Uh, Holy crap. And she really thinks the term is deficit deduction. Not deficit reduction. She thinks it's deficit deduction. She said it multiple times. She doesn't know the most basic thing about this policy. She's reading it, and she's completely oblivious. It's as if you have a younger, uh, more spry Joe Biden as your press secretary. She doesn't know anything about anything she's talking about. How is this possible? How is this happening in our country? God, I mean, if, you, if there, she is a literal commercial for Jen Psaki. Like Jen Psaki went to an ad agency and she said, how can I look less incompetent? They said, hire Corinne Jean-Pierre. And they did. And now everyone thinks Jen Psaki was really good when in reality she was very mediocre to bad. But she's a thousand times better than this lady. Incredible. All right. Let's go back and see how this works, because over and over again, we've been told and we have known that the president of the United States cannot just, with a wave of his hand or a signing of his pen or whatever he wants to do, make hundreds of billions of dollars disappear. That's not how the economy works. It's not how our government works. That's not how any of this works. So let's look back at the people who told us that right-wing icons like, you know, Nancy Pelosi. People think that the president of the United States is this more on the subject than you ever want to know? Will you let me know? People think what? that the president of the United States has the power for debt forgiveness. No, they don't. He does not. You're right. He can postpone. Mm. He can delay. Yes. But he does not have that power. That he does not. Would, that has to be an act of Congress. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's true, Nancy. Now, let me give you one guess as to how Nancy reacted when she heard about this plan. Did she stick to that? Or did she say the complete opposite and say this was a bold plan by the president and we we love what he did here? Guess what? He said it. She said it was a bold plan. She just completely reversed herself as if you had no idea. You know, I listened to a bunch of mainstream media on this today because that's my freaking job. Not one of the broadcasts brought up that Nancy Pelosi quote. Not one of them could find it. Only we could find it. Not one of them could find it. All the resources of the New York Times and uh, ABC News and CBS News, none of them could find this. 
What a stunning surprise. None of them could find this either because they asked about this a year ago and they said, hey, Department of Education, what if we just cancel it by waving our hands? And here's what the Department of Education said. For these reasons, which were outlined in the memo, we believe the secretary does not have statutory authority to provide blanket or mass cancellation, compromise, discharge or forgiveness of student loan principal balances and or to materially modify the repayment amounts or terms thereof, whether due to the COVID-19 pandemic or for any other reason. Now, yesterday I showed you the piece of the law that they were trying to manipulate to turn this somehow into a justification for canceling all this debt. Now, it ha they had nothing. I mean, nothing. They had, there's nothing in there that would say that they could do this, but they were trying to base it on, well, there's some other stuff in there that kind of relates to it. That got blown up because uh, everyone saw through that immediately. So now they've gone to plan B. Plan B to justify this plan is the HEROES Act. Do you know what the HEROES Act is? Well, neither does anybody else. It's a very, very, um, it wasn't something that anyone has ever really referenced, but it was specifically about something totally different, as you might expect. Let me tell you how they're trying to manipulate the law to pull this off. The HEROES Act was signed into law by then-President George W. Bush as part of the federal government's effort to provide financial security to soldiers fighting overseas. The bill grants the Secretary of Education the ability to, quote, waive or modify any statutory or regulatory provision applicable to the student financial assistance programs in connection with a war or other military option or national emergency to provide the waivers or modifications authorized. So they're basically ignoring everything about the military there and saying, keying on the words national emergency, then acting as if we're still in a COVID national emergency and saying, well, it's a national emergency so he can wipe out the debt of everybody. Let me tell you what the, the point of this bill was quite clearly from the person who wrote it at the time. Quote, by bringing a little more peace of mind to student soldiers, we are doing our part to protect them as they protect us, then said uh, Gen, uh, then Representative John Klein, Republican from Minnesota, the author of the bill at the time. Got it. So we send our soldiers off to war. They've got a bunch of student debt. If they're out in the middle of a terrible war, they can't come back. They can't get other jobs. They can't pay this off. The Secretary of Education has some ability to cancel out or adjust the loan amounts if they're soldiers working in a time of war has nothing to do with COVID-19. They know this. They know all this information. I am not breaking this news to them. I did not go into the National Archives and find these quotes for the first time. They all knew this was the case. They're doing it anyway because they don't care about the rule of law at all. They don't care about the Constitution. They don't care about the rule of law. Nancy Pelosi will lie to your face any chance she gets to get one effing ounce of power in her pocket, and they all will do the same. This is who these people are. This is their defining characteristic, believe it. Let me tell you about what this bill looks like because I said the whole point of this was to show you this is not Breakin' One, which was a fantastic movie. This is Breakin' Two Electric Boogaloo. This is Biden's bribery to Electric Boogaloo. So the point of this is it's getting even worse, just like Breakin' Two, I assume, was worse than Breakin' One. Um, here is the new estimate from, I'm going to give you a bunch, I'm going to give you a wide range here. This is the uh, one uh, from the uh, National Taxpayers Union. This is uh, $294 billion was the original uh, uh, cost savings, supposedly, from the 
uh, IRA, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act. No one, no one on earth believed that they would actually save $300 billion from that act. They knew even if somehow it materialized, they would spend it anyway over a 10-year period. And instead of doing it over a 10-year period, they did it in an eight-day period. And so $395 billion is their new estimate for this plan. Under, uh, they, how about how much is it going to cost you? How much is it going to cost you? You might not have uh, taken out these loans. You might not have had anything to do with going to these colleges. But you need to pay off other people's future earnings. You need to uh, justify that expense for them. How much is it going to cost you? Well, they initially said it was going to cost $2,085. The new estimate is $2,503 per taxpayer. This bill is going to cost you. You like that? $2,500 per taxpayer. Isn't that wonderful? I think it's great. Uh, Cato Institute has an estimate as well. Theirs is a little bit higher, not $395 billion, but the new rough estimate is that the cost to taxpayers will be $427 billion. To put that into perspective, it is more than the gross domestic product of Hong Kong and 182 countries. For those who support federal social programs, it is nearly 36 times greater than the federal government spent on Head Start in 2022. And if you support defense spending, it is nearly two and a half times larger than the U.S. Army's 2022 budget. Breitbart had another estimate. Theirs was even higher. This has not been scored by the CBO or the various private outfits that estimate the cost of government programs. But we can offer a very rough estimate for the cost of all of these programs around five hundred billion dollars. And if that's not enough, it's not just five hundred billion dollar costs. It's who's paying for it and who's benefiting from it. Poker player Daniel Negreanu tweeted out, uh, you know, he's a guy who deals with statistics and odds all the time. And he looked at it this way. 13 percent of Americans have student loans. Sixty five percent of Americans don't have higher education. Fifty percent of the debt is for grad school. There is no such thing as loan forgiveness. The debt will be paid by those who didn't take out the loans. But what is the effect, not just on fairness, but on our economy as a whole? What's this going to do? Well, we talked to you about Democratic economist Larry Summers just the other day. I'll give you that again. Student loan debt relief is spending that raises demand and increases inflation. It consumes resources that could be better used helping those who did not, for whatever reason, have a chance to attend college. It will also tend to be inflationary by raising tuitions. Now, he was one of the people who predicted this inflation wave not that long ago. And he said, hey, you know, this is going to cause inflation. And he was right. There was another guy on the Democratic side who was also right about this. His name was Jason Furman, another Obama era economist. How does he think this plan is going to go? Pouring roughly half a trillion dollars of gasoline on the inflationary fire that is already burning is reckless. Doing it while going well beyond one campaign promise, $10,000 of student loan relief, and breaking another, all proposals will be paid for, is even worse. And yes, that is the theme of the show. You thought it was bad yesterday. It's even worse today. You've got people I've showed you from the right who have criticized this. I've showed you libertarians who have criticized this. I've shown you Democrats who have criticized this. Let me give you the mainstream media because even some of them are starting to come on board for this. This is from uh, an op-ed from the editors of the Washington Post. Quote, the loan forgiveness decision is even worse. Widely canceling student loan debt is regressive. It is. It takes money from the broader tax base, mostly made up of workers who did not 
go to college to subsidize the education debt of people with valuable degrees. Though Mr. Biden's plan includes an income cap, this is a very important point. The threshold does not reflect need or earnings potential, meaning white collar professionals with high future salaries stand to benefit. Got it? So you come out and you say, okay, I've got, uh, you're not making $200,000 a year, so uh, you are below the income gap. Maybe you're making $100,000 a year. Well, you might be a third year guy at a law firm making 100 grand a year with the potential of being partner in a few years making millions. And yet you'll get this relief. Does any of this make any sense to anyone? And honestly, what I've discussed so far is the most coherent part of the plan. I have to, I just must discuss with you their plan to justify paying for this. Okay, this is from Joe Biden, and he's trying to somehow work around the single dumbest talking point I've ever heard in my entire life. Listen to this. As we provide targeted relief, we're taking an economically responsible course. As a consequence, about $50 billion a year will start coming back into the the Treasury because of resumption of debt. Independent experts agree that these actions taken together will provide real benefits for families without meaningful effect on inflation. Okay, let me break this down for you. This is going to be a little bit of a challenge, but you must understand it. Let's just say you're a business and you're going to take in $100. You get two $50 bills coming into your business. You're going to take in $100, okay? And when that $100 is about to come in, you say, you know what? Eh, it's a tough time for you guys. You guys hold on to that $100, okay? Now you don't have any dollars and they have their $100 still. And then you say... Well, I guess it's time. I guess it's time to do something. Your manager comes over and he says, hey, you can't just have zero dollars. We need to do something about this. And they say, "Okay, absolutely. You're right. And what he's saying is I'm going to go and I'm going to get fifty dollars from that one person. Okay. well, what are you going to do with the other fifty dollars? I'm going to give it back to the other side. You see, we're lowering the debt. We've taken the fifty dollars back and we've now given it to someone else. That fifty dollars paid for the fifty dollars of debt we are now forgiving. That is literally the argument they're making. They are saying they used to get $100, okay? Then they started taking $0. Now they're taking one $50 bill and giving it to the other people and saying it's paid off. Well, here's the thing. You only took in $50, not $100, and now you have $0. That is not paying it off. That has nothing to do with paying it off. It has nothing to do with being economically responsible. This entire plan is an abortion, and I live in a state where you're not allowed to do that anymore. You know, today we had some news. It was pretty interesting from Joe Biden. We're going to play the clip here in just a minute. But you should know that in reality what happened is something a bit different than what you'll hear from Joe. We'll get into exactly how they're trying to scam you on today's program. Consumer prices rose by 8.5% year over year in July as the summer of inflation wears on. That was the headline from NBC News, but you wouldn't know that listening to the entire administration and their apparatus trying to spin this as this incredible positive. What great news we have, 8.5% inflation. Now, you you guys like have been around for a while, right? You, You follow the news, you've maybe noticed the inflation, you've seen the big numbers come across the board. We've seen this over and over again. It was 8%, it was you know 6% and 7% and 8%. And then it hit 9.1% last month. This, this uh, month it was 8.5%. But that's not exactly 
what the administration tried to present to you as fact. Now, they want to give you this impression that the Biden administration is on this huge winning streak. This is the winning streak of all winning streaks. No president has ever seen such a wonderful, wonderful winning streak as the one you're witnessing right now. And you know how it feels like everything sucks? That's just too much winning. You know, Donald Trump warned you. Eventually, you would get tired of all the winning. And here we are during the Biden administration, very, very tired of what this seems to be if this is winning. Now, they're trying to scam you in multiple ways. And I want to break this down so you understand the inner workings of how this goes. Scam number one, they're going by the month. Now, why is that a big deal? Well, it's quite a big deal. And I want to play the clip from Joe Biden today as he announces that despite everything you seem to know about the world, despite all the things you buy and how they're a lot more expensive, despite every single piece of reality you have at your disposal, inflation is actually at zero. About the news that came out today relative to the economy. Actually, I just want to say a number, zero. Today, we received news that our economy had 0% inflation in the month of July, 0%. Here's what that means. While the price of some things go up, went up last month, the price of other things went down by the same amount. The result, zero inflation last month. But people are still hurting, but zero inflation last month. Yeah, I'd heard that clip, but I hadn't actually seen the video. He's reading this. I mean, this is so pathetically pre-planned. Okay, so scam number one is by the month. Here's what Biden is attempting to do with this sort of 0% inflation shtick. Every single conversation we've had about inflation since all of this started a couple, you know, 18 months ago, whenever it was, has always been around one particular number. The mainstream discussion has always been about one measure of inflation annual headline CPI. That's the fancy term for it. It's the number that is always in the media. It's the number that every financial journalist talks about all the time, headline CPI. Now that number was down a tad from 9.1, which was the highest in 40 years, to 8.5, which is either the second or third highest in 40 years. We'll get back to that in a minute. But Joe Biden desperately wants to tell you that this number is zero. Now that's hard to do because it's 8.5. So how do you make 8.5 into zero? A series of magic tricks. He needs to figure out how to get that number much, much, much lower. So what better way to get it lower than to just divide it by 12? What an incredible idea. So at the first step here in this scam is that he doesn't use the annual number. We've been using annual numbers the whole time. He decides to abandon the annual number and then instead use the monthly number. Now, he just talks about one slice of a 12-slice pie, right? He talks about one slice out of the 12 that normally make up the annual number that everybody talks about. It's kind of a fun idea. If you could just fool everyone to think... Well, it went eight from 8.5 to zero. That's what he's trying to communicate, or 9.1, excuse me, it was last month, to zero. He's trying to get people to think that that's going on, but of course, that's not true. You can't just divide it by 12. 
No one talks about the monthly numbers, and we'll get into that in a little bit as well. Scam number two, ignore the headline. Mm. See, remember, it was annual headline CPI, but now he's on monthly, and instead of using the headline uh, measure, he ignores the headline inflation number. Now, that's the one we always talk about. Instead, he looks at a separate measure of inflation. It's called core. Core inflation strips out the, a lot of important stuff that you spend money on all the time, like energy and like food, gas prices, all those things. All the things that have been hitting you constantly in the face all the time, almost every single week. Yeah, he just takes all those out. Now, that's, core inflation is not an unimportant measure academically. A lot of economists really like looking at that for various different reasons, but it's not how regular people experience inflation. And of course, monthly measures are meaningless to people. And while zero sounds impressive, well, the number's always tiny. It's basically never above 1%. It was expected to be 0.2% this month, and it wound up at 0%. Would anyone have noticed if the difference, you know, oh, wow, I, Joe Biden's doing a great job, that 0.2% turned into 0.0%. So this one, a lot of people looked at it and said, okay, well, Joe Biden's lying. He's saying it's zero, and actually it's 8.5. Well, he's not technically lying as much as he's being intentionally, incredibly disingenuous and also taking a big heaping scoop of assuming that his audience is dumb. He even admitted he was doing this quickly, just kind of like after he got the whole 0% thing out, kind of admitted this as he was uh, giving his speech after his initial pitch of zero inflation. Economists look at a measure of inflation that ignores food and energy prices, and they call it core inflation. See? That's about the lowest amount in several years, several months. Mm, interesting. Is it several years or is it several months? It seems kind of important to make that distinction, does it not? The economic plan is working, and second is building an economy that will reward work. Wages are up this month provide opportunity, help the middle class, and still have work to do, but we're on track. Okay, so let's take these uh, bit by bit, I guess. Uh, You go back to talking about uh, inflation overall, right? And you think about what Joe Biden is saying here. Has it been several years or several months? Well, it's the lowest it's been in several months. And the reason he can't say several years is because it's as low as it's been since last year. Now, does anyone think inflation was a good, good situation last year? We all know that was when the problems were happening. They were starting up at the beginning of 2021. So in summer of 2021, for like one month, it hit zero or 0.1 or zero. I can't remember which one it was. And he's saying, oh, well, it's the lowest since, you know, all these problems have been happening. It was in a period of high inflation. He's citing this as if it's some incredible measure. It's just a scam. And scam number three is, of course, wages are up. Wages. Does that see, does it seem like that to you? Wages are up. Now, again, this is basically a lie. I mean, technically, you can find some support to it. Uh, however, you know, like, for example, wages are up slightly. OK, they're up slightly. And you might say, well, then he's right. Wages are up. Of course, they're up if you don't factor in inflation. Now, remember, this is a press conference about inflation. And he's saying that wages are up, but he's not factoring in inflation. 
So, like, take a scenario where your pay goes up 10%. You're like, wow, my wages are going up. Look at me. But inflation is up, you know, 50%. Well, your real wages then are actually going down. Your buying power is going down. If your wages are going up slower than inflation, that's not good. It's not something you brag about in a press conference. And, of course, real wages are something that the government tracks closely. They call them real wages. This is not a made-up thing. I'm not saying, oh, these things, this is really how you should look at it. This is a real stat. Republicans have been oh so happy to point out that ever since Biden took office, real wages have been down and down and down and down and down. Uh, Republican official uh, tweeted this. Uh, Joe Biden is the pay cut president. Consumer prices spiked 8.5 percent from last year in July. And real wages have been down since he delivered the great American pay cut with his $1.9 trillion stimulus. And you might say, oh, he's probably lying. That's just a, that's just a talking point. Well, this is the chart. This is what it looks like. Uh, here it is. You see uh, it was at a plus 4.0% when Biden took office. It was at plus 1.5% in real wages when Biden passed the $1.9 trillion stimulus. And then it immediately tanked to minus 3.7% and has bounced around between minus 3.7% and minus 0.8%, all negative. Every single month since April 2021, real wages have gone down. Every single month. And now we are at minus 3.0%, the, just eyeballing this, third lowest, third worst measure on record since Biden took office, which is saying something because it's been constant catastrophe since the guy walked into the White House. The third worst measure and President Biden is in front of you bragging about it. Mm. And of course, scam number four. Inflation's not zero, right? But it's a scam to even say inflation is down. This is going to be the worst, most painful internal part of this for you because Even if you pull the other tricks I've been discussing out of all of this, the big headline number does look like it's coming down, or at least this one month it looks like it's coming down. And the media, of course, is parroting this narrative. Uh, Breaking news. U.S. inflation took a breather in July, did it? Thanks to the falling cost of food and gas as consumer prices grew at a slower pace than in previous months. Inflation took a breather. First of all, 8.5%. You're bragging about 8.5% inflation. This is the Joe-mentum we're getting all excited about. I think they should design a brand new campaign slogan. I'm here to present it to you right now. From worst in history to second worst in history. That's progress. I mean, if they run on that, who could, who could possibly vote against them? But when you hear something uh, that goes down from 9.1 to 8.5%, the average person hears that in the media, right? And they probably think prices went down. Like, you know, something that cost $109 last month now costs 108.50, right? You know, 8.5, 8.5%. But that's not what these numbers mean at all. Here is the reality of Joe Biden's 0% inflation. In July 2020, let's say you bought something that cost a hundred bucks. Okay. July, 2020, a hundred bucks. You buy something. So inflation starts to kick in as Joe Biden gets into office and we go move to July, 2021. And that same exact item costs $105 and 40 cents. That's inflation. 
But here's the terrible news for you. But the good news for the Biden administration and Corinne Jean-Pierre. At the beginning of this uh, inflationary period, we were getting higher prices as compared to what we all kind of see as normal prices, right? Think, say, you go down this, you, you know what to expect when you go into a store, how much something's going to cost. That had been pretty flat for a while. And you look at that and you're like, okay, it used to cost this. Now we're getting inflation. And it's, so it's inflating off of normal prices. But now the inflation has been going on for so long that we're now getting higher prices as compared to already inflated prices, right? So not the ones we're talking, the prices that are, we're seeing now are not inflated these, in these percentage terms from regular pricing. They're inflated from the already inflated pricing. So now if you bought something in July 2022 that cost 100 bucks two years ago, now that same item is $114.36. These things build on each other. They compound. So these inflationary numbers don't mean prices are coming down. It means they're going up and they're going up by even more than you expected. The administration gets to say inflation is going down. And of course, the media parrots that but you're paying 14% more for all the stuff that you need. Look, the truth is the media and the administration are going to try to convince you that everything is a-okay here, that Joe Biden is on some huge winning streak, that you can't believe your lying eyes. But these are tricks. These are scams. This is spin. Your eyes are not lying to you, and neither is your receipt at the grocery store. I'm happy to welcome Paul Bond to the program. He's chief correspondent for Newsweek, and his new piece is As Woke Businesses Face Right-Wing Wrath, Culture War Capitalists Cash In. uh, I'll tweet out a link to it here right after this. Uh, Paul Bond, thanks for coming on the program. Thank you. Yeah, it's a really great piece. I mean, you're covering this as a journalist. You're looking at, at just this kind of change in the way maybe conservatives are looking at uh, the, 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 the business sphere here and, and trying to fight back in this culture war. And you kind of highlight a few different approaches. I want to start with the, the Jeremy's Razors example. We've talked to Jeremy Boring <laughs> here on the program. I mean, his ads are really entertaining, but this is, this, this is an approach we haven't seen before. Uh, yeah, absolutely. They're a media company, a conservative media company, and now they've launched into selling razor blades. Um, and, and it's because Harry's Razors used to be an advertiser, and advertisers come and go, but uh, they took obsec- obsession. They took exception when Harry's left because they kind of kicked them on the way out. They said, "Well, you think boys are boys and girls are girls, and so uh, you know you're wrong." And you're transphobic, and so we're not going to advertise on you anymore. So uh, Jeremy, the CEO of the company, uh, he simply launched his own brand of razors called Jeremy's Razors. And uh, like you said, if you look at the seven-minute commercial online, it's uh, it's very clickable. It, it is like catnip to conservatives. It's very funny, and it was watched like 21 million times in a few weeks. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, too, because, you know, you, you look at that and they did a really good job with that campaign. 
It, a razor company, though, is one thing. And we've had, you know, I work at a conservative media company. I work with Glenn Beck. So we've had plenty of people uh, who have told us they don't want to advertise because Glenn yes. is super duper evil. Um, and it's been frustrating because, like, w- part of a, a relationship between a media company and a, and a sponsor like that is it is a, it's a partnership, right? Like, we're trying to help this brand grow. And they're obviously uh, helping to fund the company. And it, it, you feel betrayed when a company, like, comes on you help them build this customer base of your listeners, and then on the way out, they stab you in the back. Yeah, and that was Jeremy's point exactly. But, uh, you know, that is just one front in the war. Uh, you know, conservatives are creating their own companies to appeal to conservatives. You know, there's Patriot Mobile, there's Black Rifle Coffee, that, that kind of thing. But there's also uh, a lot of other things going on behind the scenes where, where the right is trying to fight back. So, uh, you know, Jeremy's Razors was just (laughs) one small example of many examples. Yes, it had the most models in the commercial uh, out of all the pieces that you covered. Um, (laughs) But you you had another angle here, and I want to go through all of these, but you you talk about the sort of activist shareholder revolt that is going on. And this has been really, for as long as I can remember, the purview exclusively of the left to go to like an oil company and say, hey, how come you're ruining the environment? We've seen this happen in many times from left-wing causes, but now it's happening on the right as well. Yes, it's happening on the right. There's something called the Free Enterprise Project, where they buy shares to get themselves into the shareholders' meetings. And then they ask questions of the CEO and the board members that are pretty inconvenient. (laughs) And and I remember the first time uh, I ran across this was like 15 years ago, um, where a General Electric was having a share shareholders meeting and this was at the time when they owned nbc and person after person stepped up to the microphone and said and and complained about msnbc's treatment of the tea party at the time and Mm. saying uh you know how can you call yourself a legitimate news company when that's all you do is bash conservatives and promote democrats and uh that was the first time i ran into it and uh you know all hell broke loose when i reported that story uh the the man man in charge at the time jeff zucker charge of NBC at the time. At the time, tried to get me fired for reporting it. Wow. He, of course, went on to run CNN and has since left CNN when he was revealed he was having an affair with one of his workers. But um, that's the first time I ran into it. And they've really stepped up their efforts since then. You know, he, he um, one of the guys from the uh, Free Enterprise Project, you know, asked asked the, pres- the CEO Bank of America recently, for example. Uh, the Bank of America spoke out against the Georgia voting law that says you have to have ID to vote. And, uh, he, you know, he stepped up to the microphone and said, uh, why is it racist to ask someone to produce ID to vote. And the, you know, the CEO really didn't have an answer. And he kind of said, well, you know, uh, maybe we need a bipartisan commission to figure out when we should wade into politics. And so that was kind of a victory for them. But uh, they do this uh, time after time after time, every shareholder meeting of a what they perceive as a woke company, they will they will be there and they will ask these sorts of questions. Do you get do you have any sense as to if there's an effect of that type of thing on corporate leadership, do they look at this and and are they as uncomfortable as they look on stage afterward? Or is this just a a tough soundbite and a bad YouTube clip for them? Yeah. um, One guy told me, uh, one guy told me when he asked one of one, one question of Disney, of the Disney CEO uh, back in the day, uh, Bob Iger, when he asked one of these inconvenient questions, you know, he walked by, 
Mr. Iger at the end, and Mr. Iger called him a <laughs> called him a name that I won't repeat. <laughs> so uh, yeah, they do take notice. I don't know if it it shows uh, if it shows up, uh, you know, in the boardroom or if it shows up with their policies, uh, but they do do take notice. And a lot of these companies, uh, they, they do have second thoughts. You know, when they wade into politics, it's, it's you know, 90% of it is all leftist politics. When they wade into politics, um, it, it feels good because the left praises them, the left stops attacking them, and uh, but they really don't get a whole lot of new customers from it. Um, you know, there are, there are studies that show um, you can lose customers over a political stand, but you probably won't gain customers over a political stand. What you will gain is all these noisy people will stop picking on you. Um, you mm. know, Disney ran into a buzzsaw when they waded into Florida politics. They probably didn't get any more customers out of that. They're probably not going to show more revenue because they did exactly as the left asked them to do and stand up against this don't say gay law, as they called it. Um, but, uh, you know, it's not going to show up on the bottom line. So, um, you know, companies might want to consider just staying out of politics. Yeah, I, I mean, because that's really, I feel like it's funny that we're like, you know, we've, we've always heard this like this, you know, uh, trope of the evil capitalist company that all they care about is money. And it's like, I kind of want to, I would love to go to that. I would love that, honestly. I would love a company that just, you know, look, wants to give me the best product. So I keep coming back to their establishment. You know, I think you're, I, I, I mean, isn't there, you've been covering this for a long time. Is there is there some sort of like lack of responsibility to the shareholders when they're making decisions that might lower a little bit of, of PR flack that they might receive from the left, but actually winds up hurting their bottom line? Because as you mentioned, I don't think they got anybody new going to Disney over what they did, but I do know a lot of people who will refuse to ever go back to Disneyland since they started doing this stuff. Yeah, and... Um well, one of the things that I also discuss in the article is uh, this exchange-traded fund, hmm. where they know that a lot of investors don't want to invest in these woke companies. So it's called the American Conservative Values Fund. And what they do is they invest in the S&P 500, but then, but then they poll their 5,000 shareholders, who are all conservatives, and say, which of these companies are so woke you don't want to invest in them? And they came up with this list that they shared with uh, us at Newsweek. And uh, Walt Disney is uh, the number one woke company on the S&P 500. So they won't invest in Walt Disney. And there's a whole list of other companies, uh, Meta Platforms, which is the parent of Facebook, Alphabet, which is the parent of Google. Uh, these are considered considered some of the most woke companies in America. And so this exchange-traded fund won't invest in them. And um, actually, <laughs> they've done better than the S&P 500 of late because, uh, you know, Disney, Facebook, Google, all these shares are <laughs> plummeting yeah. in the last 18 months, and they weren't invested in them. So they've actually outperformed the S&P 500 by a little bit. Oh. And um, there's also um, an asset management company called Strive yeah. that just was just created. Um, yesterday is Peter Thiel, you know, the, the, the billionaire. Mm -hmm. um, I, I wouldn't say he's conservative, probably libertarian, but um, he's one of the major investors. And they seek to do the opposite of what most money managers do. Most money managers nowadays, the biggest ones, encourage the CEOs, take a stand. Um, 
take a stand on social justice, take a stand on transphobia, take a stand on, you know, whatever the leftist idea of the day is, take a stand. And this um, new one, backed by Peter Thiel, is saying, uh, no, just the opposite. They buy shares of companies and they say, hey, stay out of politics. They, they tell their, the board members of the companies they're invested in to, uh, you know, mind your business, mm. <laughs> mind your business and not mind your political feelings. And in fact, uh, Marco Rubio, the senator from Florida, has a bill called the Mind Your Business uh, Law business act or something where he's trying to say companies uh you're going to be responsible if you start uh wading into politics at the expense of your shareholders uh they're going to hold you responsible and uh, so he's trying to pass that i know florida was also ron DeSantis, the governor of florida is also trying to pass a uh, a local bill um that uh said um uh, if you're a business, uh, you need to focus on your shareholders and making profits, not on being political. And I know that stalled. I think a judge put the kibosh on that just today, in fact. Mm. It's really interesting. I will say, you know, reading through your piece is a great piece. It's really thorough. And, you know, it's written straight it's straight news piece. I mean, you're just covering everything that's going on. But it, it honestly gave me a lot of ideas of organizations I would like to follow and, and, and see what they're doing. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm sure that wasn't your intent, but I was. it was very, very informative. It's a must-read piece for you if you haven't read it yet. Uh, it's called As Woke Businesses Face Right-Wing Wrath, Culture War Capitalists Cash In. The author is Paul Bond from Newsweek. Paul, thanks so much for coming on the show. Really interesting piece, and I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Biden's bull chips. Yes, we have a very pun-friendly crew here, and we've used the term bull chips to describe the, the, uh, this monologue today. Why? Because we want to talk a little bit about the CHIPS Act. Now, you might think to yourself, isn't that the least of our worries? Like, isn't that the 75th worst bill that they've passed over the past couple of years? You could make that argument. I would say it's a really big piece of corporate giveaway, which I'm not a big fan of. But, of course, it's a bunch of money we don't have. But, of course, it's not going to work the way they intended. But there's more to it than that. You can't just let blatant lies just drift away into the ether. This is an important concept that we should probably learn in this country. The left has a strategy, which is to overwhelm us with so many blatant lies that we just stop even listening to them and stop even really uh, checking them. There's no more work to do on this front. We just sit back and let them all fly and they just kind of pass by us. But I don't think we should approach things that way. Let me go into the CHIPS Act a little bit. Biden has made a big claim about the CHIPS Act. Now, if you don't know what the CHIPS Act is, it's understandable you don't know because it only costs us like $280 billion, which is like nothing. It's almost $0 at this point. It was only a third of the other bill that we passed. And this one had bipartisan support, so it must be good. Uh, but of course, Biden couldn't just take the win. And by the way, we should note, and we note on this program, no one else seems to note this, that when you pass a bill, it's not a win. The win happens if the bill works. You don't get a win for passing a bill that fails. Remember the $1.9 trillion stimulus bill that they passed and then it turned into all this inflation? Was that a win? He got it passed. Was it a win? Did he take a victory lap for that? He did take a victory lap for that, but then it turned into uh, hell. So we do not give wins out for passing bills, but this is supposedly a big win for Joe Biden. However, when he was 
Showing off the victory, he decided to make a statement that one million construction jobs will be created by this particular act. He said investments in the chips and science law will create more than one million construction jobs alone over the next six years, building semiconductor factories in America. Mm, very, very sexy. Uh, the, the breakdown, thankfully, done by the Washington Post here on this one, although, I mean, right off it's right on the surface here. Obviously, you're not going to get a million construction jobs. Like, doesn't that seem blatantly impossible from a bill like this? Well, uh, that's true, but we'll explain why. And I would also like to note this came out on, let's see, August 18th, uh, once again, after the bill had already passed. So we get these fact checks occasionally, but they always come after the bill has already passed and the money's about to be spent. Uh, One million construction jobs. How many jobs is that? Well, if you take it out of the realm of this bill, what about the entire economy? What's that doing? for construction jobs. One million construction jobs in six years is what this bill is supposed to create. Before the pandemic, of course, tanked jobs, the U.S. economy took four years to create one million construction jobs from all industries, not just the semiconductor business, which is what this bill deals with. Get it? Chips. And there's semiconductor chips. <laughs> None of those semiconductor chips made it to my car, though. No, just sitting there in a field somewhere. Just sitting there in a field. Probably not even tires on the thing. But it's it's somewhere and I'm sure it'll be here any freaking day now. When we asked the White House for documentation, we were directed to a 2021 report issued by the Semiconductor Industry Association. Now. Just pardon me for asking this very basic question, but it seems to me that if you want to get an actually an honest estimate as to how many wonderful things are done buy a bill that's going to give billions and billions of dollars to the semiconductor industry. You should not ask the semiconductor industry for the legitimate upside of the bill. Something, some weird thing communicates to me that they might just give you a BS answer that sounds too good to be true. But, of course, Biden wants you to believe this is a good thing, so he's going to take their ridiculous estimate, right? Is that what he did? Is that the worst crime we're talking about here? Of course not. When we dug into the report, we could not find any reference to one million construction jobs being created. Instead, the report predicted such an investment, roughly equivalent to the CHIPS Act, would create an average of 185,000 temporary jobs annually through the U.S. economy from 2021 to 2026. The statement about one million construction jobs is not accurate, said Sarah Ravi, a spokesperson for the association. So now the administration is lying about this bill so much that they can't even get the semiconductor industry, who they just gifted hundreds of billions of dollars, they can't even get them to agree with their analysis. But it goes on. She directed us to a chart in the report that indicated that a $50 billion investment would create an additional... Are you ready for it? 6,200 construction jobs. Sixty-two hundred construction jobs. Not a million, but sixty-two hundred. A slight, slight misstep from the administration, who not only said it publicly, but then tweeted it. Uh, eventually, they said the White House initially defended the figure, but eventually conceded it was wrong. <laughs> And you have to understand how these reports are like 
you're trying to get a bunch of money from somebody, you just make them sound as good as possible, right? They go back to the 2011 Keystone XL pipeline debate, and the Washington Post there was all over it. They wanted to make sure immediately you knew that it, they didn't really create all of these jobs. But among the list of jobs that would allegedly be created by a proposed investment in wind farms, 51 dancers and choreographers, dancers, you're going to build a wind farm, that's going to create jobs for dancers and choreographers, 138 dentists, 176 dental hygienists, 100 librarians, 100 and, uh, 510 bread bakers, 448 clergy, because <laughs> lots of new people going, they just wanted to be you know, ministers when the wind farm was built. 154 stenographers, 865 hairdressers, 898 reporters, which is weird because they could actually use some reporters before these things get passed, so they wouldn't get passed. 136 manicurists, 110 shampooers, 98, I swear to you, 98 public relations people, 65 farmers, and 1,714 bartenders. Yes, your investment in wind power is going to bring 1,714 bartenders to a community near you. Congratulations, guys. We've did, done a great job once, once again. Americans uh, do not need another reason to be freaked out by the size and power of our federal government. We're spending all this money all the freaking time. Not on the heels of this new funding for the IRS, to add tens of thousands of new agents. Not after the FBI's latest episode at Mar-a-Lago. And yet, a report from the New York Times has more great news about what they call, quote, a tidal wave of pan pandemic fraud. Now, we've been say I've told, I could say I told you so, you could say to me, you told me so. We are all telling each other so. We all knew this was going to happen. When the pandemic checks started rolling off the press, everybody knew this was gonna happen because it's not rocket science. When you have a government that operates as if it's an unlimited checkbook and you just open up the floodgates and gush money in a panic with almost no oversight, this is kind of what you get. It's telling when even the New York Times admits that maybe this pandemic relief was a bad idea. Because remember, the Times thinks every freaking spending proposal is genius. So it's a little shocking to hear them say, quote, trillions of dollars flowed into federal relief programs. And but those dollars came with few strings and minimal oversight. The result, one of the largest frauds in American history. Hmm, is, that, is that it, really? Current U.S. Uh, national debt is over $28 trillion. You may know this. In 2020, our leadership approved $3.1 trillion in relief money, supposedly to help the unemployed and boost the economy. Now, last year, uh, they approved another $1.9 trillion. So now there are this is true. 500 people from the FBI, Secret Service, IRS, Postal Inspection Service, and the offices of various inspectors general working full-time on pandemic fraud cases. 1,500 people have been charged so far, and 450 people have been convicted. But investigators say they've barely scratched the surface. The Labor Department's IG office alone has 39,000 investigations open. The Small Business Administration is working its way through two million potentially fraudulent loan applications. The SBA usually gets 800 calls per year to their fraud hotline. They received slightly more than 800, 148,000 calls in the first year of the pandemic. 
This is how dumb apparently we are. Remember that $600 unemployment benefit that the federal government you know, offered on top of whatever amount a jobless person received from their state? Well, applicants were not even required to provide proof that they lost their job due to COVID. They just had to swear that it was true. Our government entrusted $5 trillion to the honor system. Here are some examples of the idiotic fraud that the federal government missed, according to the New York Times report. 29 states paid unemployment benefits to the same person. Good job. A Postal Service employee got $82,900 in a loan for a business called the U.S. Postal Service. Now, my guess is that would have gone through more official means. I don't know. An individual got 10 loans for 10 non-existent bathroom renovation businesses using the email address of a burrito shop. Multiple people received relief money for their farms that turned out to be nothing more than their front yards. One scammer used pandemic relief funds to buy $57,000 in Pokemon trading cards. Actually, it was just one Pokemon trading card, which is actually really impressive. Maybe I'm in the wrong business. 342 people managed to get small business loans by listing their name as N.A., like not applicable. We don't have a name. Give us a loan. No one has any clue how much of the total relief money was lost to fraud. One official estimated that improper unemployment pay payments alone could be worth over $163 billion. That's the equivalent of, I mean, what? I mean, maybe a full week of aid to Ukraine or something like that. Look, the truth is, when our government promises something, they are lying about that thing. When they spend your money on something, it is actually being spent on something else. And even with all of this and Joe Biden sitting in the high 30s in approval rating, Republicans are probably at this point a slight underdog in the Senate. I've said it before. I will say it again. The only way Republicans can lose in November is if they screw it up. And shockingly, that is something they are very capable of.